Good morning. Good morning, church. Thank you for uh, waking up and worshiping with us together, especially to the guests and friends joining us. I want to say a special hello to you. Um, hello to everyone watching from either the Faith Center or the Well. Thanks for worshiping from where you are and those at home. Thank you as well. Well, if you are new to the church, um, we've been in this vision series. We're trying to cast a vision. It's a four-week series. Today is part three, and the series has been called Chasing After the Win, W-I-N. And we're talking about what are the real wins in the eyes of God, things that are really truly successful, that have lasting value according to God and his word. And so far, we've talked about how helping someone find Jesus, that's a win. And that means evangelism has to happen, right? And helping a person follow Jesus, that too is a win. And so discipleship has to happen. And so we're going to be talking about evangelism and discipleship a little bit deeper today. Um, Pastor Dan is going to come out in just a bit, and he's going to speak about discipleship. I'm going to start off by talking about evangelism. So before we get into that, let's, let's pray, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us through his spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we, we bow our heads intentionally to acknowledge, God, you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You rule over the universe, and yet we acknowledge that you love the world. You so love the world that you desire all to, to know you through Christ, your son. So help us to really open up our hearts and our minds to what your word says about sharing this good news, about sharing our faith and helping people to walk in that victory. And so speak to us now, Lord. I pray that uh, you would take away any distraction, any physical emotional or mental hindrance to really being here in your presence fully, Lord. So draw us near, draw near to us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now I know when uh, we talk about evangelism, the, I know there's some of you who are listening who maybe church is a, a new thing to you and maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian just yet. And sometimes when you hear about Christians talk about evangelism, you kind of roll your eyes because it almost seems like Christians are always about just making converts or, or we're trying to push our beliefs or our religion on people as if we're trying to build this kingdom for ourselves or this army for ourselves. And my prayer is that you would actually see the heart of God in this, why it's so important to him and therefore it should be important to us. It's kind of like the magician Penn Gillette from Penn and Teller, maybe you're familiar with this magician duo, uh, but Penn on the right, he's a well-known vocal atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And Penn has no respect for Christians who don't evangelize. He says he has no respect for Christians who don't evangelize. He tells the story of after a show, they were out kind of meeting and greeting their fans, shaking their hands, and... He saw this gentleman who was a businessman just waiting for his turn. And when that businessman was able to come to finally shake Penn's hand, he was very kind in his words, very, you know, had a lot of compliments for the show, just loved it. And Penn was saying, when my interactions with this man, it was so sincere and so genuine. And this guy was just a really good, wonderful man. He looked me in the eyes when we talked. His words didn't seem like empty flattery. And then he says, in that conversation, he gives me a gift. And it was a Bible. It was a Bible. And here's what he says. He says, I really respect that. I respect that. 
And he posted a video. You can find this online. But here's what he says. He says, if you believe, remember this is an atheist speaking. If you believe there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? It's another word for evangelize. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He, he says it's kind of like this. If you're in the street and there's a truck coming down the street and he's about to hit you and kill you, whether you believe it or not, if I believe it's going to hit you and kill you, you, you can be sure I'm going to tackle you at some point to get you out of the way. Because whether you believe it or not, I believe this is true and I care enough to do something about it. I'm concerned enough to move, and so I'm going to tackle you and get you out of the way. And so he says, I have a lot of respect for Christians who truly believe there's an eternal heaven and an eternal hell who care enough about sharing it with somebody who does not yet believe it. Whether they believe it or not, they care enough to move. And so he said, this man who gave me a Bible is just a wonderful man, and I appreciate him. And if our God so loves the world and he has such compassion that he would send his son Christ to die for him, then that should concern us too. That should be the concern of our hearts that we would see the whole world come to know this good news. And so that's why we talk about evangelism. And I understand when we think about these, this idea of evangelizing the world, sharing the, the love of Christ with the world, that seems like such an impossible task. It's so daunting. And yet, I want to show you in the next few moments the power when each one reaches just one. When each one reaches one. Now, let's go back to Matthew 28. We've been in this in the past couple weeks. But Matthew 28, if you have your Bibles or your apps, I'd love for you to turn there with me. Because we're going to revisit this passage we know as the Great Commission. The instruction Jesus gives right after he resurrected and then before he ascended into heaven. But here's what he says to his disciples, in verse 19 through 20, he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's referring to helping people find Jesus. And then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That refers to helping people follow Jesus. And surely, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that's how the gospel of Matthew ends. And then the book of Acts is a book of history, and it picks up the story right where Matthew ends. And so in the book of Acts, in that first chapter, Jesus ascends back into heaven, and there we are with 11 disciples. The 11 disciples pick up one more to make it a 12 again. And these 12 disciples now go out and obey the Great Commission. They take Jesus' instruction seriously, and so they start sharing the gospel. They start evangelizing. And what happens? Well, check out what happens. People will start believing. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added. Highlight that word added that day about 3,000 souls. Now that word added in the Greek language is the Greek word prostithemi. Prostithemi, which you don't have to memorize. But the reason I point that out is because that word shows up again in the next few chapters. It means to add. Okay, so watch verse 47, Acts 2 verse 47. And the Lord added, there's that word, to their number day by day those who are being saved. 
We go to a few chapters over, Acts chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added, there's that word, to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. And so over and over, as these disciples are faithful to share the, the gospel and share the faith, the church is now starting to grow and numbers were being added to the faith. Now check this out. There's a shift that happens from Acts chapter 6 on. No longer were people being added. People were now being multiplied. So look what happens in Acts chapter 6 verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied, highlight that word, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And so Luke starts using a different word. It's not the word prostithemi to add. Now he uses this Greek word plethuno to multiply. They're math terms, but there's a difference between addition and multiplication. Watch where we go on in verse uh, 31 of chapter 9. Acts 9.31 says this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and peace had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. There's that word. Let me show you just one more. Acts chapter 12, a few chapters later in history. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and it what? Multiplied. Multiplied. And so in general... Luke changes terminology, right, from addition to multiplication up until Acts chapter 6. He says the church is growing by addition, and then from 6 on, he shows a different type of growth. So my question is, why the shift? What happens? Well, in Acts chapter 6, if you go back and read that chapter, you see this story, and for the first real time, the original disciples, right, the 12 are now empowering the church. The new believers that they brought to Christ to now participate in the work of the ministry to help further the gospel. Come, get involved in this. And you see them distributing work. And then from Acts chapter 6 on, it begins to multiply. When the disciples that they made are now going and making disciples who will then go and make disciples, now we see multiplication happen. When it was just the 12 Bring people, that, that was addition. When those they bring go make disciples who make disciples, that's multiplication. We see this powerful thing from Acts 6 on. It's not just the 12. We see guys like Stephen and Philip, Paul and Barnabas, Silas and Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila, all these new believers participating and sharing their faith. So in math, there is a significant difference between addition and multiplication. And the difference is exponential. It's exponential. Well, the church once experienced this linear incremental growth. Now the growth is exploding, experiencing this exponential growth. So why do I show that to you? Why, how does that relate to us, South Bay? How does that relate to us? Well, I believe what happened in the book of Acts could and actually should happen here in South Bay Community Church. And not just our church, but every local church that forms the capital C church, this should be happening today. Now, if we're just dependent on a few people to, to preach the gospel from the stage, then yeah, we might draw a crowd, we can draw a crowd and grow by addition. Like we could do special sermon series, we could hold gospel outreaches and, and do special messages to preach the gospel and, and we might succeed by drawing a crowd and we might grow and add to the kingdom by addition. 
But imagine if not only are the pastors preaching the gospel from the stage, but each one of you in the seats, each one of you through the screen, you are reaching just one person and showing them the great commission so that they too will go and reach one person. What can happen when each one reaches one? Let me show you what happens. So Billy Graham is known to be the world's greatest evangelist in all of history, really. They say even more than Jesus and Paul because he's actually preached to billions of people. And they estimate that out of those billions, 3.2 million people have found Christ, were led to Christ through his preaching. 3.2 million people saved. Can you imagine that? Now let's say, man, I, I want to I reach 3.2 million people, so I'm, I'm, I'm going for it. And I'm going to challenge Mark right here because Mark is for Jesus. Mark for Jesus. Let's say he, he I'm going to, let's, let's see who could get to 3.2 million first. Now, first of all, let me just make it clear that it's never a race and it's never competition. But for the sake of this illustration to show the power of reproduction, let me show you. So let's say I'm going to do it the best way I know how. I'm just going to preach it and try to draw a crowd. And let's say by the grace of God, like we're, we're going to put the messages not just online, not just on YouTube, but on TV, and we're going to get a spot on the radio, and we're going to bless in the next year. God is so gracious to allow this ministry to reach 100,000 new believers. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The following year, we do it again, and we reach another 100,000 people in that following year. And let's say every year, annually, 100,000 new believers come to Christ. And by year 32, if that were true, that I could add 100,000 people to the kingdom for 32 years, it'll take me that long to reach 3.2 million people. Praise God. That's effective ministry. But let's say Mark's like, I'm a little shy, right? I'm a little shy, and I, I don't like to be on the stage. I'd die if you ever put me on the stage and make me speak in front of people. So I'm going to go the relational route. I'm going to go the relational route, and I'm just going to just be a, a, a sincere friend to someone. And I'm going to look for opportunities to share my faith. I'm going to pray that God would give me boldness and courage, and I'll answer their questions, and I'll uh, take them to coffee so that I could help them understand how much God loves them. And let's say by the grace of God, after one year, Mark is able to lead his friend Jessica, who's sitting behind him, to, to faith in Christ. Praise the Lord. Jessica's a believer. Then the next year, since they both get the great commission, God's love, they go and reach one person in the following year. Well, that's awesome. After year two, there's four of you now. Each of you have reached one. That's four. But I still got 200,000. That's just a wee bit more than you, Mark. Right? Just a wee bit more. And then the next year, the four of you each reach one in that following year, and by the grace of God, they receive Christ. Well, that's cool, but I got 300,000 on you. And we keep doing this, and this pattern re re repeats itself. Who in the world is going to win this race? Who's going to reach 3.2 million believers first? Jesus and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus and the Holy Spirit through Mark and those he's leading to Christ. Why? Let me show you what it looks like. After 32 years, when I finally hit the 3.2 million mark, it will only have taken you and Jessica and the disciples you've made 22 years to hit a million over that mark, 4.2 million in 22 years, right? I know that's a little small. Let me zoom it in for you. This is what it looks like a little bit closer. You guys will have reached the goal way before I can by just drawing a crowd. And that's just if Mark does that. 
But what if Mark does that and Ernie does that and, and every one of you, all 2,000 of you do that, we will literally reach the entire world within a decade. Probably in the next five or six years, we can reach the rest of the world. Here's what Billy Graham says. This is Billy Graham who, who reached 3.2 million people. He says this. If every believer followed this pattern, the church could reach the entire world in one generation. Mass outreaches in which I believe in and to which I've committed my life to will never finish the Great Commission, but a one-to-one ministry will. He says, I I can never draw big enough crowds to save the entire world, but one-to-one ministry, if each one reaches one, we actually can, if we all took Jesus seriously. And that is the power of us all participating in the work of the gospel. Here's the point. If we just leave it to a few pastors to preach the gospel from a stage, trying to draw a crowd, God's going to bless that, and it it will grow incrementally. That's, That's that's worthy because the angels rejoice over every one that's saved. Let's, let's acknowledge that. But I believe we're called not just to add. I, I believe the Lord wants us to multiply. And if each one of us would reach just one person in the next year, because God so loved me that he should save me, I want another one person to know how much God loves them. I believe we can truly help people find Jesus together. We could do this together, and that's a win. That's a win. So let's get practical, all right? We've been talking about how helping a person find Jesus, that's a win. But what's a reasonable, reasonable practical way each of you can really participate in this? And so we've, we, we've casted the vision. Here's the challenge. Here's the practical challenge. I'll put it up for you. Write it down somewhere in your notes. Each one reach one. Let that be a mantra. Each one reach one. In the next year, of course, it's up to the Holy Spirit, but would you pray for one person that God would allow you to love on someone so genuinely that they would see the genuine love of Christ, and who knows, perhaps they would believe in what Christ has done for them. Share with a lot of people. Share with many. Don't limit it to one. Share with as many as God gives you the opportunity, but pray, Lord, would you give me at least one? Lead me to one person that can be led to Jesus. And so I want to ask you this really practical question. Who's your one? Who's your one? Who is God putting on your heart that you really care about and desire to see for the rest of eternity? Is it your brother? Is it your mother-in-law? Is it your neighbor? Is it your coworker? Is it your teammate? Who is your one? And so here's what I want us to do. Talk about, let's get even more practical. Everybody take out your phone. Everyone take out your phone right now. If you have a cell phone, I know that's 100% of you. Uh, take out your phone, okay? I want you to call them right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not ready. Right? Um, no, on your phone, open up a, a, an app like um, the no, notepad app or maybe your text, text yourself, but write your one, the name of your one. Who is that person? And maybe write something to give it context. Say, Lord, would you help me this next year to share the love of Christ with and fill in the name. Or if you just want to write a name and you know what that name means to you, just keep it on your phone. I want, you, I want to encourage you to keep coming back to that name. And every time you see that name, you pray for that person. Ask the Lord to open your heart to share out of love Christ with this person. 
okay? We know that helping people find Christ is a win. That's the goal of evangelism, that people would find Christ. But how will they know to now go and help another person find Christ unless we teach them? So that's where discipleship comes in. And the ultimate goal isn't helping people find Christ. That's not the ultimate goal. Jesus didn't say, go disciples and make converts. He said, go disciples and make disciples. And so it's not just about helping people find Jesus. It's also about helping them follow. So I'm going to have Pastor Dan come out and take us deeper into what it means to, to be in discipleship. Pastor Dan. Thanks, Craig. Right. Good morning, guys. You know that word discipleship, I feel like I've never heard it outside of the, the church realm. It's a very Christian-y term, isn't it? So if you've never heard that word before, that's totally okay. It's understandable. Let's talk about it today. I think some of us, when we hear that word, maybe we just think of the, the 12 guys that followed Jesus around in the Gospels. Or when some of us hear that word, maybe we think of a, of a track, a program, a structure, a curriculum that, that we're supposed to go through. Other, others of us might understand exactly what discipleship means, what it is, but maybe I don't feel like I have the, the competence or the courage to go and make it happen. Wherever we're at today, I, I hope that we can hear some ideas that, that allow us to define it and to start doing it. So let's ask three questions about discipleship to get there, okay? So first, what is discipleship? What does it look like biblically and practically? And then three, how do we start doing it? So what's discipleship first? Simply put, discipleship is helping people learn to live as followers of Jesus. Discipleship is learning to follow Christ. And it has a very strong connection to, to what Pastor Greg just talked about. If evangelism is about finding Jesus, discipleship is keeping that going, about following Jesus. Another way to look at it is this. If evangelism is about sharing the gospel with people who don't know Jesus, I believe discipleship is about sharing the gospel with, teaching the gospel to people who do know Jesus. Why would you say that though? Why, would, why do we need to teach the gospel to Christians who already know? Look at it this way. If evangelism is announcing and inviting and guiding people to the good news that Jesus died and arose for our forgiveness and for our new life, then discipleship is the thing that teaches people how to keep going in that, how to keep going in the good news, how to walk in forgiveness and in newness how to truly live out the victory that Jesus accomplished at the cross and at the empty tomb over our sin and over death. In fact, all the instruction of the New Testament is just that. It's gospel ethic. It's the gospel applied. Saying Jesus died for you, now go live in response to that, in light of that. It's calling us back to the, the finished work of Jesus in ways that ought to inform all of our behaviors, all of our desires. It's helping us to understand how the cross is what constantly shapes our relationships with other people, our lifestyle decisions. It's teaching us how the resurrection of Jesus, that is our power source for functioning as his church. That's what helps us to treat people with grace, gives us the victory to overcome sin and help us, helps us to grow spiritually, both individually and corporately, collectively, to become more like Jesus and to continue in the ministry that he started. All of that comes from the gospel, from his work at the cross. 
All of that only happens because of what Jesus has accomplished, because of the power and the condition that he has given to us, that he earned for us when he died and when he rose. So discipleship is teaching people how to walk and operate and live in response to the good news that Jesus is our crucified and risen Savior and King. Amen? Yeah. Discipleship is teaching the gospel to people who do know Jesus. But where are we getting that teaching word from? Why do I keep saying that? Not only does Jesus directly instruct us in Matthew 28 to make disciples by teaching them to obey what he's commanded, but the word disciple itself is loaded with, uh, with that sense of learning. I think this is really cool uh, because our English word math, the English word math, like addition, multiplication, like what Greg talked about earlier, that comes from the Greek word mathema, which refers to that which is learned, stuff you'd get in a classroom or out of a book, that which is learned. And from that word, mathema, we get the Greek word for disciple, which is mathetes, math a taste. So when we think math, addition, multiplication, we should be thinking discipleship, actually. Math a taste means learner. So very literally, disciple means student. It means pupil. And that requires us to have a teacher or a master, or as first century Jews in Jesus' time would say, a rabbi. Uh, and, and so a disciple, a mathetes, is a student who's committed to uh, a teacher's ideas and instruction and lifestyle, uh, following and believing and emulating his or her master. And so as Christ followers, our teacher is Jesus. And we study him, we follow him, we listen to him, we obey him, we look at him and want to live like him. And when we do those things, we are his disciples. That's who we're called to be. That's what we're commissioned by Jesus to go and make more of. And so that's what disciple is, that's what discipleship is all about, but what does that look like biblically and practically? Well, to, to answer that question, I wanna share with you my absolute favorite Bible text on discipleship. Uh, so if you wanna turn to John 1 with me, uh, that'd be great, you can follow along in your Bibles or up on the screen. We're gonna look at John 1, 35 to 41. John 1, 35. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teachers, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you'll see. So they came and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him on that day, for it was about the 10th hour, late afternoon. One of the two who had heard John speak and follow Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means Christ, King. When I was in Boston for school for, and work for uh, four years or so, I discovered the world of seltzer, uh, sparkling water, Anybody into that? I love that stuff. I'm totally hooked. The most popular seltzer brand where I lived uh, in that area was Polar. I love it so much. I still drink that today. It's my absolute favorite. And by now, I think I've drank swimming pools full of Polar. Uh, I'm committed. I'm bought in. I have a Polar t-shirt. I'm not wearing it now, but trust me. I, I followed their social media account for a while to check like when new flavors would come out. 
Actually, they, they emailed me. They saw that I worked at a church, and they're like, hey, could we set up like a booth and sell Polar? Like, oh, that's a little too much, but I'm really into Polar, okay? And they knew it. They knew it. Um, I tell people about it. I have shared it uh, and uh, actually bought, bought some for others, and we have some coming out for you today. And anybody feel like a, like a seltzer, like a sparkling water? Jill, you want one? Go for it. Go for it. All right. Let's be careful about this because uh, last night, thank you, Jordan, last night it exploded on somebody. I don't want that to happen to you, so let's open it slowly. It's water. It's okay. Ready? Oh, I'm so glad that didn't blow up on you. Thank you. All right. Cheers, Joe. Enjoy that. Well, I share this. Uh, I share Polar with all of us, not to try to make you more like me or make you just like what I like. I'm not trying to just draw attention to myself or look unique or novel or anything like that. I share it because it's really good stuff. It's really great. And I want you to enjoy its benefits. I want you to be hydrated, you know, and live a, live a full bubbly life or whatever, you know. And I want you to be free from sinful Diet Coke, okay? Stop drinking that. That's trash. Anyway, I've been bringing these, I've been bringing these to the office for about three and a half years. And uh, one of our pastors recently ordered about 5,000 of them for the, for the back fridge. I was, oh, praise the Lord. That's great. It's a huge win for the office, you know. And it just filled, it filled my heart to see my, my faithful uh, polar drinking finally pay off like that and multiply, you know. Other people are seeing the light coming to the truth, you know. I feel like this looks a little like discipleship in John 1. John 1, discipleship is kind of like my polar experience for three reasons. It, it, it is about pointing to something greater. It's about following and it's about multiplication, let me explain that. First thing we can learn through this about discipleship is that discipleship is about pointing to Christ. In verse 36, John says, look at Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God. This is so cool because John himself had disciples. He had guys following him, but he knew it wasn't about him. He, he knew that discipleship was all about pointing others to the only perfect sacrifice worthy to pay for our sin and restore our relationship with the Father, the only true hero and champion of history, the ultimate winner and victor over sin and death, and that's a relief for us, friends. For those of us especially who feel intimidated about discipleship or maybe insecure, I don't know if I should be making more of me. I'm not perfect. I'm not that great. Maybe I don't know everything. I don't know if I'm that good at this, you know? And that's okay, because discipleship is not about that. It's not about pointing to me or you. It's about pointing to the Lamb of God. And so discipleship is not limited by what we know, by my book, my class, my, you know, my system, what I think I'm good at, or my intellect or anything. It is about pointing to Christ. That's the first thing we should see about discipleship. It's always about pointing others to the Lamb of God. Second, discipleship follows Jesus. Verses 37 to 39 show us that, where you see this turning. There's a turning away from an old thing you were following and, and turning toward a new thing. And what following means is that we let him, Jesus, be the most powerful force that pulls us in that direction, the thing that determines and drives our new trajectory. He becomes the one who now who rules over, grabs the steering wheel and says, this is where we're going in life. It means we count on him for conviction, uh, steering us in a, new, in a new way, looking to him for leadership in all that we are and all that we do. And so following means we pursue him, means we go with him, as you see in these verses. We come and we see, we commit to learning him and learning from him. 
We look to him as our rabbi and our master, our instructor. We hang on every word. We take notes. We put what he says into practice and we invite him to correct us and to inform us and to teach us, even to test us. That's following Jesus. That's what disciples do. That's what discipleship is all about. It points to Christ. It follows Christ. And third, it multiplies. Look at verse 41. These disciples in John 1 didn't let it stop with them. They shared it, the good news, with other people. They went home, shared with his own brother. He said, I found the guy. I found the Messiah, our Savior and our King. And if you keep reading John 1, just a few verses later, you see that Jesus keeps calling disciples. And then they keep going out and saying, this is the one. This is Jesus, the Messiah, the Lord we've been waiting for. It didn't stop with them. It multiplied. Discipleship points, it follows, it multiplies. And I hope that's a, a helpful snapshot uh, that, that allows us to define discipleship. But practically, what does it look like? That's biblically what it looks like. Practically, what does it look like? Where would we see it in our environments and spaces here as a church? There are a number of places, praise the Lord, where we do see it in practice at SBCC. We celebrate that. One great example is one another ministry with our ladies here in women's ministry. One another uh, vets and trains ladies. It pairs them with another woman looking to learn to follow Jesus. And then they meet together to go through uh, 10 topics in a workbook to help them understand their faith in Christ. And then you apply that to relationships and to finances and to spiritual discipline and lifestyle decisions. It's a really great example of what discipleship can look like. Another great example where we see this in practice is men's ministry. Men recently launched uh, this discipleship model where guys will pair up with one another and study the book of John together one-on-one to discover who Jesus is, what he taught, and then push each other and sharpen each other to become more like Christ. Discipleship can totally look like that too. It's a great example. It can absolutely happen in those one-on-one relationships like that, structured by a workbook or a curriculum or a, a book of the Bible, but it can take other shapes as well. We know that biblically because you see uh, groups of disciples in the gospels following Jesus. You got the 12, you got the 72 who are sent out as missionaries, you got the crowds, big crowds are referred to as disciples, the church and acts referred to as disciples. So discipleship doesn't need to only be a one-on-one thing. It should happen in broader contexts of, of Christian community. Not only that, it should be happening not, not just in the structured things, the, the regimented, scheduled stuff, but in the very natural, regular stuff of life as well. Jesus models this beautifully when he's, uh, he's sitting at the, uh, in front of this golden field of wheat with his disciples and explains to them, guys, this is, like, this is like the kingdom of heaven. This is a harvest, and we need to be the workers who go out there and gather, this, gather these people in uh, for the kingdom, for, the, for God the Father. He's using just normal life uh, illustrations to teach discipleship. This is what it looks like to follow me. He's breaking bread with them and saying, I am like the bread of heaven that gives life forever. I am like the, he's sitting at a well, I'm like these springs of life. So using normal everyday stuff to teach who he is and, and what he does. And so discipleship should be happening in all these other contexts and in all the normal situations of life. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us practically? It means it should show up in life groups. It means it should show up in kids crew, on parking team, tech ministry, playing board games with friends, Generation Connect with Yam and our seniors and college students going out for boba. Those are awesome opportunities for discipleship to be taking place. And what that means is in, in your life group, for example, Maybe you take a break from your normal icebreaker and, and you start the meeting by going around the circle to ask, hey, where did you succeed or where did you kind of struggle this week to obey King Jesus? 
That's a discipleship question. Or maybe at the end during your prayer time, you update each other on that one person that you wrote down in your phone today on who you're trying to reach. How's Jesus leading you in that relationship? How's the Spirit empowering and enlightening you for that ministry? What's he teaching you in that particular relationship? You got some pushback? That person kind of laugh at you a little bit? Okay, let's see how Jesus handled that because that happened to him in the Gospels. Let's see what he did. Maybe that person is kind of challenging you with some cornering, tricky questions. That happened to Jesus too. Look how he dealt with the Pharisees, okay? In kids' group, maybe you see a, a child that got, they got bumped into by another kid, and he's sad and frustrated. And so as a kids' crew leader, of course, you're going to go get the ice pack, and you're going to sit with this little guy and emotionally care for him and be present. And then when he's ready, you kind of calm down. You share that, hey, Jesus is with you in these hurts. He understands our pain because he went to the cross for us. He can feel what you feel. Are you ready to, to go forgive the other little boy that bumped into you? Because that's what Jesus did for us, huh? On tech team, on servant's heart, hospitality, when you're debriefing, when you're checking in for your, kind of your quarterly meeting, set aside some time to, to share how your serving has enabled you to understand Jesus in a new way or, or hear his voice in particular situations. Maybe you got a team member feeling kind of angry or, or anxious for some reason. Check in with them and, and hear them out. Give them the encouragement they need, and then a few days later, after things have cooled off, maybe follow up with a text and say, hey, what do, you, what do you think Jesus wants to show you in this frustration right now? How does the Lord want you to experience his win, his victory in this moment of struggle that we're going through? And we're chasing after the wins, and so the discipleship win happens when that guy in your life group sees Jesus in the Bible responding with gentleness and with insight and with a cutting wisdom that pierces into the souls and hearts and minds. Uh, and then tr that guy trusts the Lord to provide exactly that Christ-like ability in his next conversation with the one he's reaching. That's a win. The win happens when that kid feels the painful bump on his head but chooses to be like Jesus and extends forgiveness to that other kid that hurt him. The win happens when that ministry team member sees that their, their frustration is coming from a place of performance pressure. I gotta be perfect. I can't mess this up or people won't like me. I'm gonna fail the Lord, you know. But then looks to Jesus, the perfect lamb of God and follows him to the love of the Father and remembers that she is accepted not because of her own accomplishment but because of what Jesus accomplished at the cross. That's a discipleship win. And this should be happening in all of our ministry spaces. This should be happening across cultures and ethnicities. This should be happening across generations, older to younger, like Paul and Timothy in Acts 16. You know that relationship. Or what about this? Could a younger person maybe disciple an older person? Yeah, actually, yeah. Because this is not about age. This is a, about pointing to Jesus. You and I can learn how to follow Christ from a fifth grader. I promise you. Next week, 16 of us are going to be in Mexico building a home. And four of the team members are under 13. We have four kids on this team. And I cannot wait to see their joy and their courage and their missional passion. I can't wait to hear their prayers. I can't wait to, to see them kicking a soccer ball with the children of the family that we're building for. Just boldly stepping into that and, and sharing the love, the kindness of Jesus. They're going to be modeling all of that, and we are going to grow as disciples of Christ because of what these kids are doing. Age does not need to hinder discipleship. Either does gender. It's okay for guys and girls 
co-ed situations for discipleship to happen. Of course, we're going to exercise wisdom and discretion, and the Bible is totally clear that there are certain situations that aren't, aren't appropriate sometimes. You can find that in uh, the end of 1 Corinthians, but there are very healthy settings and ways that discipleship can happen in a co-ed situation. Remember the story of Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila. This is in Acts 18. You can kind of do some further study at home if you want to dig into this. But there's this husband and wife ministry team, very cool people, uh, Priscilla and Aquila. And they're, they're contributing to Apollos' discipleship. Because even though he was a, he was a very polished uh, speaker, a strong Bible teacher, a bright, effective, like professional level orator, you know, even he had room to grow in Christ. And Priscilla and Aquila, man and woman, uh, they lovingly, honorably encouraged and equipped him toward a, a better, more accurate way to teach about the Lord. And he received it, and he goes out refueled for even more fruitful preaching, even more wins for Jesus. I love that. Age, culture, gender does not need to hinder discipleship. So what does discipleship practically look like? Let's restate some of this, recap some of this stuff. It looks like walking through the word one-on-one with another person in, in women's ministry and men's ministry. It can look like groups that are asking each other, what are you learning from Jesus this week? It looks like teams that encourage each other to reflect on the, the character, the voice of Christ as they, as they debrief their struggles and celebrations. It looks like older people and younger. It looks like men and women, Korean, Latino, white, and Filipino modeling and observing the gospel worked out in each other. Inviting our brothers and sisters, hey, look, tell me where I need to grow. Sharpen me. Clarify my focus on Jesus. Help me, help me to be pointed to the sacrificial death and the victorious resurrection of the Lamb of God. So how can we... How can we literally, tangibly do this right now? We just talked about a lot of ways that we can get into discipleship, but maybe that feels like too much info or too many ideas, or, or maybe there just wasn't anything that grabbed you there. That's okay. Just remember this. We can walk with one because he won. I want to challenge us to walk with one because Jesus won. We want everybody to look for at least one relationship that helps you to follow Jesus. Or maybe it's one pocket of Christian community that you need to step into where you're helping somebody else to learn Jesus and to, to walk in and live out the new life and the resurrection power that he won for us at the cross. Let's all walk with one because he won. You could do this by asking somebody to disciple you. Like, hey, I see something in you that's very Christ-like and I would love for you to speak into me. I'd love for you to ask me hard questions and challenge me in ways that point me to Jesus and push me to be more like him. You can do this by praying about who the Lord would, would want you to go pursue in a discipling relationship, to reach out to and set up a coffee or a lunch and, and have conversations about how you're becoming more like Jesus. How can I help you to see Christ in more and more parts of your life? It doesn't have to be weird. I know that might feel a little matchmaking, or you might be worried about rejection or compatibility. It's all right. <clears throat> One way to diffuse that is just, is just say, let's go three meetings and, and evaluate, see how it goes. It'll be fine. Maybe the person that the Lord is leading you to reach that you wrote in your phone earlier, maybe that's the one he also wants you to eventually teach and disciple. You can do this by signing up with men's or women's ministry to serve as a disciple or a discipler. You can do this by refocusing your life group, <clears throat> your Bible study, intentionally making time, carving out space for asking questions about how we're learning Jesus, 
who he is, how we're letting him take over more and more parts of, of us and shape our lives in new ways. Committing to grow in his likeness and inviting observation and accountability from our brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can see the person and the work of our victorious Savior. When we walk with one because he won, that's a win for discipleship. So I hope, I hope all of this gives us a, a clearer, more solid definition of discipleship and hopefully some helpful ideas of, of what it could look like because we absolutely have to do this church, don't we? This is not an optional thing. This is not a side dish to the Christian faith. This is who we are. We are disciples who need to go make disciples. This is what Jesus has commanded us to do. And so, Pastor Greg, I want to challenge everybody to go reach one because Jesus has reached us with the salvation here and at the cross. And let's go walk with one because Jesus won, helping and teaching and guiding others to follow Jesus in new life, in his grace, It's victory at the cross and in the power of his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, first of all, we thank you and praise you for saving us. We don't deserve that. We pulled away from you in our sin and in your grace, you rescued us and pulled us back with the work and the person of Jesus. Now you are worthy of everything in our lives, all that we are, And so, Lord, we want to submit that to you and surrender ourselves to you and commit to following that Jesus who saved us and who is our King. So, Lord, we ask by the Spirit, the power of the Spirit that you have so graciously poured, placed in each of us, would you help us to do that? Would you convict us? Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you move us, embolden us, strengthen us for this work of evangelism and discipleship, Lord? We want to be obedient to you. We look forward to seeing what you're going to accomplish in and through us. And so here we are, Lord. Use your church. Move your church. Multiply. Multiply believers, followers of Christ, Lord, through what you're going to accomplish here at SBCC, Lord. We lift all of this up to you, and we praise you. In the name of Jesus, amen.